0: welcome back to focus i'm sorry i'm late i'm ron cisco you know one of the my favorite things to do is to go to the zoo that might seem a little ridiculous coming from an adult but i find something very peaceful about watching zoo animals it's also kind of sad especially uh the last zoo i went to i saw this sad cat It it was just sitting there very lethargic looking maybe a little sick i'm not not really sure just just really sad um but definitely one of those one of those great experiences for me is to go to the zoo. That that seems hypocritical, perhaps, because I know zoos aren't wonderful for animals. But at the same time, we're not really preserving them in the wild. Their their species are dying, and uh, we're not really do, doing our best either way. I don't know when I told my wife that I loved going to the zoo. It was it was probably one of those weird experiences where we were talking about things that we really enjoy, and I'm sure the zoo came up. I'm. My, my love for the zoo, any zoo, is pretty strange. I, I, I remember where it started, I think it was in um, fourth grade, fourth grade, I went to um, elementary school in Connecticut. Uh, actually, while I'm on the subject of that, I, I did enjoy my education in Connecticut. We, we uh, focused on a lot of very civic things, especially the formation of the United States government, the American Revolution. Um, maybe a little bit of hero worship going on there, but it seems like a lot of that information wasn't really passed on to the other states in the Union. Um, Connecticut is the Constitution state, so we definitely spent a lot, a lot of time talking about the formation of the government and our role, or at least the state's role, in uh, in the preservation of the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, Um we didn't hold any formal meetings. We were just kind of like the uh, offshoot state. Everything important was happening in New York until it was happening in Virginia. We definitely got drilled with um, Nathan Hale's uh, famous speech. It's something that we were pretty much forced to learn. And um, but there was there was definitely a lot of pride in terms of um, our 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 education, our place in the union, and the union itself. Which, I like, I don't blame society from kind of getting away from that. I understand why the Pledge of Allegiance might seem a little creepy. Uh, it is. And, and uh, that's neither here nor there. But, but I grew up in Connecticut. And, uh, and the first zoo I went to, it was either in uh, fourth or fifth grade, was the Bronx Zoo. I guess I didn't know where I was going with this, except I totally had an idea. But now that I'm talking about the Bronx Zoo, I remember... I remember the bus ride. I remember it was like a two-hour long bus ride, maybe longer. I remember we, um, you know, we all sat around our friends and we told jokes. And uh, some of the the younger couples, (laughs) younger couples, (laughs) some of the couples that even existed in fourth grade or fifth grade, I'm still a little foggy on that. Like they sat together and we all kind of like, you know, did the, the kissing in the tree thing because we were all a little too young. I don't know what was going on there. The town I grew up in in Connecticut is, uh, is a port town. It's actually the as-seen-on-TV capital of the world. And, um, and we didn't have a lot. I remember, you know, some of the features we had like the laundromat and the arcade machine and the local uh, burger joint. I, you know, we didn't have a lot. We had, we had a, we had a bunch of fish and chip shops, a couple of bars and, um, and like a grocery store, you know, and that's gone. That's gone. My, the, my childhood is gone. The, uh, the place that I grew up, the, the house that I grew up living in is gone. It was sold to, to build a parking structure cause they were going to make the town a bigger place. And then that fell apart, uh, during one of the recessions. Anyway, I'm way off track. Uh, I remember being on the bus I remember not really knowing what I was going to uh, to experience like this is all very vivid right now I knew that I liked animals like I liked the idea of animals I enjoyed watching documentaries I watched a lot of PBS as a kid and um, and I was I was looking forward to it but I was also kind of scared because when we were in elementary school and I, th- I think it was fourth grade Um. They were telling us about, you know, preservation of ecosystems and, and the the danger of the rainforest was a big deal at the time. Uh, we saved the rainforest. Damn it. And then they ruined it again. But I remember being worried about how how large the Bronx Zoo is. Um, my parents didn't go. Both of them were working. Um, but we did have a few parents and, and there were extra teachers there for chaperone because like the whole school went. And we weren't the only school that was there. And uh, and we showed up, and we had like five hours to take in the Bronx Zoo, which is a gigantic zoo. It was the first time I'd ever seen a hippopotamus. It would be the first time I'd ever seen a rhinoceros, uh, I, 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 giraffes, I think. There were tigers. Uh, I remember a camel, and I remember it being disgusting. Um, Gosh, and and then all the all the smaller things. Like I stayed away from the bug exhibits, and I always, I still do, not super huge on those. Uh, but but I remember seeing all the amphibians and and the reptiles and and um, penguins. God, I love penguins. Oh my God, you don't know how much I love penguins. I remember being disappointed with the amount of time that we had to be there because it was two two and a half hours, something like that. Um, and since you know. I didn't take the bus. We actually walked home from school every day because we were close enough that there was no bus service. And um, and I remember, I remember we came home late. I think it was five or six o'clock in the afternoon, and uh, and I was exhausted, but I was just so excited to have been there. And I I still chase that experience now. Um, the Bronx Zoo was beautiful and and amazing, and it never made sense to me that this gigantic biodome of ecosystems exists in the Bronx. Um, at least I hope it still does. I'm not really sure, but, but I remember like the San Diego zoo, I kind of recaptured that. Um, the Denver zoo, I kind of felt that as well. The London zoo. Um, although the one in, um, Albuquerque kind of came close because their penguin exhibit is, um, uh, second to none. I've never seen anything like it before. If you if you like penguins, you need to fly down to Albuquerque, and and check that out. Or if you like really weird art house things, you should fly to Santa Fe and see Meow Wolf. That got super off track. I'm like seven minutes into telling you that I love zoos and that it's a big part of my childhood and that like the the feeling of of child wonderment like that that feeling of exploration and discovering the world for the first time exists for me in a zoo which should also say like I also like aquariums not as much as regular zoos but aquariums are awesome too and uh, and they're like little zoos for fishies so thanks for sitting through that because uh, because I don't know I just get excited when I talk about it but I realized something at the zoo in uh, in Albuquerque and the zoo in Abilene Texas that that I I I've gone to the zoos the wrong way. And I think this comes the same way from, from experiencing things in a way where you, you're not assured of your, your, your next chance, uh, where, where the thought of not experiencing everything is like throwing it away. And in a lot of ways, I'm going to tie this kind of to economics, but, but I didn't want this to be political, so we're just going to talk about it from the perspective of being poor. I grew up very, very poor. And uh, I'm thankful for my parents for trying as hard as they did and making sure that we weren't, like, l- uh, robbed of the experiences. I, I'm i so thankful. I mean, it, it seems like a, a contradiction, but, I like, I've always had video games in my life, and partially it's because it's a distraction. Video games are a great way to keep your kids quiet. But it's a, it's become such a big part of the media, and and I'm thankful for not having been left out in those experiences. Anyway, uh <laughs> But being poor also teaches you another thing. When you go to the buffet, you eat everything at the buffet that you can eat. It doesn't mean you sample everything at the buffet. Maybe you don't like everything, but you eat as much of it as you can. Because when is the next time you're going to be able to eat like that? There were definitely days um, or weeks where we didn't have anything in the fridge except for rice and kimchi. My mother's Korean And, uh, and and ramen, maybe. And that, that was what we had to eat for the week. And it's, you know, it's not your parents' fault. They have to pay the rent. And they have to make medical bills happen. Um, we didn't go to vacations every year, but my parents would try to arrange a vacation out of the extra paycheck my dad would get, you know, every year. You'd get, you get, If you get paid biweekly, you get two extra paychecks uh, for two months if that's how you do your bills. All of those experiences teach you when you're younger, when you're poor, that you eat as much as you can. My parents really couldn't afford dessert. And so uh, when we did have dessert, it would be the incentive to, uh, to eat a second plate of food. Cause that was how you were going (laughs) to, they were going to stretch out the dessert. Oh, if you want some dessert, you're going to have to, uh, eat everything you, you've got on your plate. And then when you do, they put another plate of food in front of you. And if you want dessert, you have to chew through that too. It's, it's a different way of looking at things than when you have money. And, uh, and I've, been, I've been fortunate enough to have money, have enough money, where I didn't feel forced to do that. And a lot of those bad habits still exist. That's why I'm still overweight. That's why, you know, I, I, I still don't know when to stop eating, even though I know I'm not hungry. I have to tell myself, you don't have to eat everything on your plate. You can just sample the things that you want. You can, you can just eat half of what you've eaten and you don't have to worry about making someone feel bad. And that's, that's such a strange thing growing up. And I tie that back to zoos because I think I've been going to zoos wrong. I've, since, since I've become an adult, I still continued to go to zoos. I went to the Minnesota zoo at least twice a year. Uh, I'd like to go to the Como zoo if I didn't have any money and, um, and I, I still try to visit zoos every time I go to another state. Uh, I've been to the Denver Zoo twice, and I've been to Denver probably four times in my life. I have uh, went to London, and the first thing we did was go see the London Zoo. It's, it's just it's such a big part of the things that I love. But I also realize now that every time I go to the zoo, I make sure to see everything. I think those two ideals are directly related. When you go to the buffet, I mean, is there anything more American than a buffet? I'm not even sure if they do that in other countries. But here, when we get there, your thought is, for these $15, I'm going to make it worth my while. And that's how I feel going to the zoo. I I feel like if I don't go see everything, then what what have I gone to see? And really, really, I should spend my time enjoying the things that I want to enjoy. I mean I like pretty much everything at the zoo except for the bugs again I don't really care for the bugs but I I do like everything at the zoo but but why don't I just spend the day watching the dikticks or watching a puma sleep or was a cougar I I don't I don't want I don't want more than that and it's not to say that every time I go to the zoo, I would see the same thing because variety is the spice of life. I find that that's still the case for me in restaurants. When I was younger, I ordered the same thing every time. And that was kind of how I defined my restaurant experience. Growing up, I definitely looked at the Outback Steakhouse as kind of the pinnacle of, of our, our dinner experiences and the Outback was usually reserved for special occasions. Definitely not an every birthday thing, but sometimes a birthday thing. And as we got older and my parents uh, became a little more, more financially stable, uh, mostly a birthday thing. But still, the, the Outback was the nicest place we were going to go. So I could depend on exactly two things at, at the Outback Steakhouse. Number one, I was going to get a Melbourne, um, which is a porterhouse, done as rare as possible. I asked for blue rare a few times, but, but it seems like blue rare is kind of a hard or, order for, for people who, who don't know what that is to, uh, to complete. So I just say as rare as possible. Uh, I like the baked potato with everything on it. And I wanted a Caesar salad and, uh, and then I wanted a piece of cheesecake and that was my order every time we went to the Outback. So once a year. It wasn't until, ah, man, I was 20 years old, I think, when I got invited to go to the Outback with some friends. uh, Because to me, the Outback was still like a special occasion thing. They're like, hey, we're going to go have lunch at the Outback. You want to come? And I was like, man, I don't know if I can afford it. They're like, it's fine. Just get a burger or something. And I got a burger at the Outback. And I realized that I had been missing out on years of amazing burgers. And I understand that that's not exactly as exciting as a big piece of steak for your birthday. But they were pretty good burgers. This message was not sponsored by the Outback, but if they want to pay me to tell people that the burgers are good, great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, On that note, to balance things out, I've never had a good piece of fish from the Outback. So take that for what it's worth. Look at me talking about food. Every time I get started talking about food, this is going to happen. I'm just going to get sidetracked. But the point remains... As soon as I figured out that the the outback was demystified for me, that there were other things on the menu that I could try out, like a pretty decent pork chop. Um, I'm not a huge fan of uh, prime rib, but their prime rib is pretty go pretty okay. I I mean, as far as prime rib goes, it's an enjoyable experience. Now going to the outback, I um I I don't I usually get the New York strip because uh, that's my favorite piece of meat, but if I don't, I'll try something new. If they've got a special menu, I'll try something off the special menu. And I don't finish the bread anymore. And I don't ask for more bread. I do at Red Lobster, though. The Cheddar Bay Biscuits are insane. But maybe I'm looking at the zoo the wrong way. That's the whole point of this conversation. Fifteen minutes later. The feeling that, that I had... I was just watching Flamingos with my wife and i know that she gets bored and she doesn't want to sit around and watch flamingos but but i did i wanted to just watch them exist i wanted to understand how they felt i wanted to watch them flop over and kneel down cuz not all of them sleep standing on one leg i wanted to understand why these were called lesser flamingos and ouch by the way i kind of i kind of um i guess i'll i'll relate this back to a shooting metaphor because, uh, I love talking about that too. Since we're talking about things I love zoos, food and shooting. When, when you go to the range, there's, there's three types of people who go to the range. There's the guy who wants to be there to show off. There's the guy who wants to be there to, to do the thing. Like, you know, it's, it's just a, 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 I don't know, uh, uh, like riding a bicycle in a lot of ways, <laughs> you're not going to forget how to do it, but you're going to get rusty, you know? And then there's the guy who wants to learn something. And I go to the range of the person who wants to learn something. I try to dry fire as much as I can to keep the skill sets up, but I know that I'm only going to learn something at the range where I have the opportunity to put the things that I've been practicing into a reality, into a workspace and, and repeat those actions over and over again. I've taken 20-something shooting classes, uh, some of them defensive, some of them offensive, uh, some of them more than offensive. And in all of those shooting classes, they always tell you to keep going to the range, keep practicing, and take keep taking classes. But the problem is, unless you have a goal, all you end up doing is just taking classes. I've taken classes that teach exact opposite frames of mind and they give you completely different skill sets. And the thought to me was that if I could be educated in anything then I could apply all of those skills as I saw fit. And unfortunately what I did to myself was put myself in a position where I was learning stuff and then immediately unlearning those things because I didn't have a clear goal because I didn't set out to enjoy one thing because I didn't say I'm learning defensive shooting. I didn't say, I'm learning how to target shoot. I just said, I'm going to learn from these people today and these other people today. So for years and through probably 30,000 rounds of target practice and, and personal practice, because every shooting class is usually limited to around 200 rounds, 250 rounds, um, that I, I feel like I'd worked... I, I was treadmilling. I wasn't, I wasn't doing anything except just being because I was trying to take everything in. I didn't get to learn more. About a month ago, I shot my third match, third match in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And, uh, and I had a great time with those people. The people I met there were wonderful and I would shoot with them any day. And I, I wish I could stick around and get to know them better. Like, I would love to be friends with those people. But I also know that the things that I learned in between my first match and my third match... Not even 600 rounds between those two. I made more improvement there than any of the 30,000 rounds before. There's something I like to call the philosophy of application that, that teaches you about the method you should be learning uh, something. And I can't teach anybody anything, honestly. I could I can take you to a range and I can show you, you personally, how to shoot. But I can't teach millions of people how to shoot and i feel it feel it's very disingenuous when you go online and you look up youtube videos of people teaching you how to grip a gun because it doesn't work the same way the way you grip a gun won't work for me my hands are too big my shoulders are in bad shape and my uh, my muscles are much bigger than most people it's not a humble brag it's not really brag it's just like the reality of it is that i don't fit together the way anyone else does and every time I'd gone to the range before, it's when I had a couple of bucks left over from a paycheck and I had a couple hundred rounds that I could buy with that and head down to the range and expend all those rounds, not understanding the improvement I should be making, being confused about why I was making the same mistakes over and over again. Why am I constantly flinching? Why am I still shooting down into the left? Why am I unable to make the gun go the way... I see professionals do it and it wasn't until I really sat down and and said this is what I want to study I want to study sport shooting I wanted to concentrate specifically on this type of shooting which is related enough to you know any other type of shooting it gets the job done I just I find my interest here I I found an arcade machine something like 20 years ago in a movie theater that was my first exposure to sport shooting i didn't know anything with sport shooting except for like shooting clays but the sport that i participate in now has exist, existed for for much longer than i ever expected the ipsc was founded in 1976 and the us division of that the us psa was founded in 1984 which and i was founded in 1983 and so for me to have gone my entire life up to that point not noticing, not noticing that there was a specific type of shooting that I would be interested in, that I could focus on, was, was a loss. My parents hated guns, and I didn't get that opportunity or that education either. I had to wait until I could afford to purchase my own. I didn't know I liked shooting until I was exposed to it. I'd always found pleasure going to the range. And, uh, and, and I always brought to my, my range experiences a new technique that I'd learned. I started going to the range right around uh, 2001, 2002. And, and it was always that I would take some new piece of information that somebody exposed me to where I would say, oh, that's the thing that I'm missing. And I'd go to the range and I'd practice that technique for 20 or 30 rounds and then drop it because it wasn't making a difference. And then I would end up just dumping the last of the hundreds of rounds that I brought. Sometimes only a hundred rounds. It was kind of a sad range experience. And I did fine. I did fine. With, with that range experience, when I was 24 years old, with my uh, SIG P226 uh, in 9mm, I, I, uh, I qualified because uh, Minnesota, you, you don't have to qualify for a uh, uh, concealed carry permit, but most of the carry permit instructors at that time wanted you to be able to qualify uh, just to prove that you were firearms proficient before handing out a piece of paper saying to the, uh, the county that, that you deserve a, a permit. And I, with my P226, uh, laid down 10 rounds of, of 9mm at 7 yards, uh, as was specified in their, in their uh, materials, that they wanted you to be able to shoot at 21 feet, 10 rounds, and hit the target. Not hit the center of the target, not hit the circle in the middle of the target, hit the target put it, put it in the man size shape, all 10 rounds due to the 3000 or now nah, two to 3000 or so rounds that I put in, into that gun at that point, I was very confident. I'd, uh, I'd done a lot of research. I'd, I'd, uh, I still like, I, I'm embarrassed thinking about how bad I must've looked shooting. But I was, um, I remember waiting in line while everybody else took turns on the, uh, uh, instructor provided Ruger Mark three, um, which is a 22 long rifle. And, uh, and listening to that for, I think I sat there for a half an hour, maybe 45 minutes listening to people just pop, 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 and everybody nervously waiting for their turn. And, um, and they asked me if I was ready to go. I said, yes. And he said, okay. I, I, I remember reading the 21 feet in, um, in the yard in the manual, but not not really thinking about it. I thought it was so much further, right? I thought maybe it was 21 yards, or you know, maybe it would look farther in my my reality. And uh, and he set it up at seven yards, and he goes, "Okay, now hit the target." And I said, "Oh my God, is that it?" And I uh, laid those ten rounds down in probably two and a half seconds. And, uh, and all of them were in the nine ring. I'd done all my, my homework. I was so ready for this because I'd been practicing. I didn't want to mess this up. And, uh, and that's where I was. And, and that's where, that's where I started my, my classes. That's where I started taking classes. Uh, not just basic firearm safety, but like technique. And, and I wanted to understand how, how, how to use a pistol so that I wouldn't get into trouble and do the wrong things. And, uh, and I just, I just drilled myself out of being able to learn anything. Now that I have a focus, now that I, I understand what I want to grab from the experience of shooting, I've I've increased my enjoyment of it. I've always enjoyed going to the, the range because it was it, it's very peaceful to me to go shooting. It's very peaceful to me to be able to turn out the rest of the environment and, and just say, nope, that is not gonna bother me today. I, I listen to everything short of I don't know the the <laughs> you know some some people show up with a short barrel three 300 blackout or a 50 caliber desert eagle and that'll rock your world a little bit yeah but everything short of that just doesn't doesn't phase me anymore it's not that I don't hear it it just doesn't it doesn't it's not part of my world you know but now now I get to experience that and progress to learn to to pass milestones to enjoy things in a way that I never thought I could enjoy before. And so in that same way, until I had a focus, until I, uh, that, that seems to be a running theme here, until I knew where to apply myself and how to apply myself, until I picked a thing to enjoy, until I limited my options, I wasn't able to, to progress the way I wanted to. And I've, I've wasted so much time that way. So to me, every time I go to a zoo, it's probably still very important for me to take in all of the zoo. I don't want to make it seem like I just went back on what I said here. Because the first time you show up at a zoo, you should take in everything you can. If it's your first time at that zoo, you should enjoy that zoo for the zoo. You should go to that zoo because it's it's new to you. The first time you experience, I don't know, if you get into bicycling, don't just road bike, try mountain biking, try cross 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 biking i have a cross bike i don't know um you know try uphill hill climb hill climb is my favorite kind of biking um and i've tried all the biking but don't don't stop yourself from experiencing those things you should experience as much as you can but then putting limitations on yourself is how you become better at something can you be successful at hill climb and then still enjoy mountain biking? Sure, but you're not going to be working the same muscles, you know? And so if it's up to you, you you, you can divide it both ways if you want and, and focus on both on, on your own time. But if you're trying to do all of them and then you end up doing none of them, then what is that teaching you? If you go to the buffet and you eat everything, what have you really enjoyed? And so to me, there's, there's two types of zoo visits. And to me, there's two types of, well, probably three types of range visits. And to me, there's two types of bicycle experiences. Um, and, and in terms of those zoo visits, there's the first time you go to that zoo. And then there's every time you go after. The first time I go to that zoo, I want to see everything. But every time after, I'm just going to pick a couple of animals. And I'm going to watch them all day. I don't go to buffets anymore. Um, well, I do go to buffets, but I don't go with the intention of stuffing myself. I go to eat the things that I enjoy and not have somebody tell me, this is your fourth plate, sir. Please stop. There are definitely trips to the, the range that are more fun than others. And especially when I get to go take someone shooting for the first time, it's it's wonderful if if I can impart the experience that I get from it to other people. They don't have to take it that way. But if I can show them what I enjoy, then that's a wonderful experience. And it's wonderful when I can get a new experience. I went to a, uh, a dealer day at one of the gun shops nearby where I used to live. And uh, I tried out new guns that I never would have tried before in my life. And some of them I loved. I loved. And of course, you fall in love with the $4,000 gun. And some of them I didn't love. Some guns that I thought I, I would really connect to, I didn't have that feeling with. But probably 90% of my visits, maybe more, are going to be me at the range, doing work to be better, to, to improve upon myself, to experience things the way that I wanted to experience them. Limitations are not a negative thing. Being able to focus on the scope of what you want to enjoy or accomplish gives you so much power. Thank you for listening.